1: And my only friends, which includes but is not limited to, D'Artu. Think I got rid of it. Yeah got rid of it. I saw one of them. Oh uh, my god! Flapping, flapping, flapping their fucking bingo this.
0: wing for everybody <laughs> <in> to <this city>.
1: see.
0: <laughs> bingo wings. No, like, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I saw one of the uh, that. one of the halves of the I other body today. X baby. It's like Great. over there in the bathroom. It's like broken. What? Hold on. Give, oh, me, one one? give me one second. I know. One second. I know. You gonna go get it? Yeah. What? 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 What is? What, who sent the golden retriever after? This? <laughs> we know
0: that there's a broken Morocco. What? What is happening right now? Oh man!
2: Is it still golden retriever? Let him cut when he's no, golden retriever independently let him let and just like just do whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Hey,
0: yeah he's good. He, he, he wants to please. You know.
3: Here's.:
1: <laughs> Turtle power.
0: <laughs> Turtle's in a
3: half shell. What is
1: happening, Hunt? It's good to have you. Hello. It's yeah. Nice to have an adult on the set. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Good, good to Listen, man, right just because right. you lost your childlike sense of wonder doesn't mean we all have to. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Oh, shots fired. I mean, he's not wrong. He yeah, called you not, miserable. He's, he's not miserable. He's just decaying. <laughs> decaying. We're all decaying, buddy. I hate to break it to you. That's true, but you're just decaying at a faster rate. You know, your half life is uh, shorter. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's how age works.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're, you're. you're Very observant, young man.
0: I'm happy for you and your youthful exuberance that will also die. You didn't sound very happy
1: when uh, I found this little...
0: Well, because you didn't find it. It
1: just hasn't been thrown away yet. I found it.
0: (laughs) Tartu!
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will say I've always been surprised with how much I get wrong who Conrad's going to throw it to. You would make a great puppy.
3: Yo, they said on, um, I guess, I think it was pretty sure it was the bills game i was watching and he said uh jo- josh allen's nickname used to be Tortuga because he was super slow but then he got fast then he got fast How? i don't know i don't know apparently that, he was slow and he then they called him tortuga and now he's running all over the place spite is a powerful motivator that's, Yeah, that's i feel true. like it's
2: more likely that he was just people called him it ironically right like because he's fast so you call him you name him after yeah. something slow you would think well that's but,
0: what we do with lamana Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's the ironic nickname. And this right. man comes out of the gates blazing. Yeah, right. this guy's got a,
2: mm-hmm. a very very good sixty meter sprint right. time. I'm yeah, sure. you know how many I'll times I'll tell you what to do when you miss the flop, but
0: that's later on. Right. You know how many times <laughs> he's been all in with aces in the first level of a tournament? <laughs>
2: <laughs> probably more, probably ended badly for the uh, for the opponents in those cases.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just yeah, they folded. Me. They lost the hand. It reminds me of that guy in the main this year that like just got infinite in with kings and just got like stacked hand one. i yeah, just I hand one of the that. 10K main. Just-
0: I'm, I'm starting to come around with it doesn't matter if you have kings, roll with it, baby. Mm. I I don't know, man. Stop. Sometimes get some help. Sometimes
2: they just have aces. You have too much money right now, though. That's like that's what yeah. happens. Like, whatever. No, I, I just
0: see like who's winning the main, and it's just like, what are we gonna fold kings now? Like it's a nine day event. I get oh, you it. Had
2: 300 big blinds.
0: Yeah, I get it. I get it. I know know you're
2: used to having a thousand big blinds, but for a lot of us, three hundred big blinds is a lot. I got to
0: tell you, the way that I see three hundred big blinds going in in cash,
2: honestly, you know what they
0: should do? They should just put the Seven Deuce game on in the main event. (laughs) It would change everything.
2: I would love Seven Deuce tournaments, like straddle tournaments, any kind of new weird tournaments you can make up. I mean,
3: I think you should be able to run it twice. That's just me. I think actually that's running. What kind of tournament? <laughs> <laughs> it lasts for seven. Well, I guess it would last for seven what, days. What a normal, kind of one day tournament would turn into
1: a seven day tournament?
0: If you did a seven deuce bounty in an MTT, what kind of uh, incentive could you could you give?
1: Big blind ante from or big blind from everyone? Yeah, I think a big blind. Could you, you imagine if
3: that's everyone. how you busted a tournament? You were down to one big blind, and somebody <laughs> went seven <laughs> duces, and you had to toss them your last. That's actually
2: pretty dope. <laughs> that's, honestly, that would be really fun. That would be yeah. fun
1: i would like that i mean it's a it's a huge price right you win if you're yeah. playing eight handed you, Whoa, you win eight bit you win yeah. seven bigs that's what i'm
0: trying to work out in my head because gaining chips is worth less than losing and you you're forced to play a negative vv hand
1: in some situations it's worth going to be worth more now right because like there's some well I, it would
0: be like, interesting because like when you get short seven deuce would get Really we get added to the rip range mm-hmm. right yeah. so all the
2: call off oh, ranges would get super oh, wide that's so dirty mm-hmm. like
0: you just have 12 big blinds you're just like
1: <laughs> yeah, you probably could triple up here. Yeah. But
2: it's so nice when you get it through because now you, instead of having 14 and a half bigs, you have 21 yeah, you and a half have bigs. You literally doubled like, without, uh, yeah, without showdown. Yeah, you get, you get down to five bigs and get dealt seven deuce and you're like free rolling.
1: Imagine <laughs> what the calling ranges would do now.
3: Yeah, exactly. now the calling ranges widen too. Well,
1: also, I wonder how much like, you would jam versus well, sort of. They're
0: only risking the one big blind or additionally one big blind, right? So yeah, calling ranges would have to adjust, right? but the risk premium would be higher for... The caller than the shover. Yeah. Than right. the shubber.
2: Right. yeah. Like, this is fun. I, w- I want this to happen now.
0: Uh, I, I'm here to make things happen, Hunt.
2: Well, you, you're the one who has a connect to Jack Effel.
0: Well, let's not. Oh, that's <laughs> I, I don't know if that's, that's true <laughs> anyway. Yeah. The bridge is burning, as we <laughs> see. Oh, Okay, fair enough. I think I'd be better off if he didn't know me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I did not do a great okay. job of, uh, of, of keeping that relationship on par. Um, you just have to cue that. I'm sorry. <laughs> we? <laughs> did you did you happen to see any of the chess stuff yesterday with uh with hans um,
2: i did yeah i uh i thought it was kind of silly um just to be like randomly targeting poker and saying you know promoting poker to young people is bad or something like i i yeah i didn't really i didn't really see where it was coming from other than from a perspective of this guy wants to find a reason to tear down the person who posted that the video you know like I, it was botez right so yeah yeah like it just seemed like it was coming from a place of this guy wants to have a reason to criticize this person as opposed to this guy is saying something legitimate that be taken seriously
0: yeah i think you know i think the source obviously was uh very obvious kind of drama baiting and uh doing it for engagement but i thought the conversation that spurned off of it was interesting
2: i, I didn't read any of that i just saw the original post
0: <laughs> so obviously a lot of people then replied and and responded or re, reposted it whatever um man i can't believe i'm talking in x terms now <laughs> yeah, just call, re-posted it twitter. It.
2: call it twitter and then eventually one day it will be twitter again
0: <laughs> yeah that that's probably true uh yeah cause, you know, elon's twitter. elon's really good at buckling the social pressure mm-hmm. right yeah <laughs> um but yeah, I saw like a lot of responses and a few things surprised me. Like I quote tweeted one of his replies to Alex, I think. Uh, and it was kind of shocking that somebody who's obviously very intelligent to be as good at chess as he is uh, understands so little about simple concepts like risk reward and uh, like the backbone of gambling and how it works. It, it sounded like the way that he worded the tweet kind of read similarly to somebody who is like baked into old world values like derived from you know 17th century religion type of things yeah uh gambling is a sin yeah it was just like very antiquated and very strange to me that this somehow turned into an ethical slash moral dilemma um and i think that like there's just like this great misunderstanding of what the difference between those two things even are like ethics is a, a set of rules and you know basically just like a way to measure fairness right like are you abiding by the letter of the law and is the letter of the law fair etc cetera, etc cetera. morals are more going to be individualized and line draws yeah like where you draw a line in the sand in the gray area mm-hmm. and it's like okay yeah sure we can explore gambling through the moral lens but societally like we just pretty much are good and accept these things as uh like being relatively okay and you don't have to go that far to to see it like obviously we've seen sports betting is getting legalized everywhere and uh you know we understand that it's a billion dollar industry and all this other stuff but beyond that like just look at something like day trading like the majority of recreational money in day trading is for sure getting crushed Mm-hmm. they're not they're not trading the market right but like we all grow up in our education system being told that the market is the most reliable investment that you'll ever make that you should make your money work for you as you you know start to accrue wealth and stuff like that and it leads to this notion that like you as a non-professional can just pick a stock and ride it home to victory Right.
3: Yeah, which is hundred hundred x leverage trade these shit coins. Right. Yeah. Then
0: (laughs) you know you start to talk about
3: pure gambling.
0: Right, and that's the irony is that like people will make the distinction that somehow the traditional S and P stock market is uh, is totally safe and not a gamble, but like if you trade within cryptocurrencies, then you're You're just a degenerate, degenerate. Mm -hmm. and all you're talking about is regulation. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're drawing the line now in the moral realm between if something is regulated or not.
3: Yeah. You mm-hmm. can find some very, very high risk penny stocks. Right. right? And, and, and gamble, gamble it up as much as you want. Right. Just like you can find some shit coin that's, you know, um, has a very low market cap and you just hope to, you hope to bank. But, right. And like, like, it's like, wh- it's gambling the same way. Right.
0: And so, like, when you start to talk about advertising to kids, what was your first exposure to the stock market?
3: Mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, was in like probably like in high school, or, eighth grade like, civics yeah, class, right? Yeah. Exactly, for My sure, middle school. Yeah. yeah, for sure, it was eighth
0: grade civics class. Yeah. It right? was like yeah. financial but, literacy. But like for
3: for a time, it was kind of like that's what you know. That's what you
1: you did. You put your money in the stock market and let it grow. Right. There's. I remember seeing a book where it's like, if you made a million dollars and you put it in a bank, you can live off of that for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, I, I remember. Could, see-
3: it, like there was a time where that 19, that 1950 was 1950 or something. Right. No, I mean even in like the 70s and 80s, when mm. when interest rates were super high, I mean, if you had a million dollars and you were you were getting eight percent interest, like you just have 80k a year, which is plenty of money to live off. Right. Of. and like, it like, pounds Right. Right. Exactly. Year year. So it's just like, right. uh, at the th- yeah, but
2: I mean. We're not living in those times now. I think there's also this weird thing where when it comes to gambling, as in gambling for money, there's this sense that it's like this. I mean, the, the word degenerate always gets used, right? But like no one, no one ever talks about the same thing when it comes to like gambling with your, your physical safety or something, right? Like if, if someone's like really into like doing extreme sports, you don't look at that person and the risk that they're taking in the same way that you would look at the risk taken on by someone who's really into gambling for mm-hmm. money but gambling gambling with, with something that can actually kill you is like more dangerous than gambling yeah i with think something landon was trying to cost making you a couple that point bucks, yesterday you know?
1: right yeah i think just in many instances in different forms of life we're always gambling it's just mm-hmm. a matter of how you mm-hmm. view it every exactly. time you
3: step into a car you're, yeah. you're, you're uh, I taking think, a, an inherent risk i think
0: kind of the problem is the the the, the term gamble has been so stigmatized mm-hmm. where it's like really all we're doing is we're we're creating a word that identifies when there is risk with variants attached, and that's mm-hmm. going to be most things in life. so like this whole notion that it's immoral or unethical to uh you know in any capacity promote this type of stuff is really like trying to pull the wool over people's eyes uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that You know, at its true core, we're just looking at a a, a situation where people are going to do whatever they want to do. And there's a hyper fixation on the outlier extreme cases where somebody goes from being a stable individual and runs themselves into ruin and becomes homeless because they had a gambling addiction. Like, that's not the average use case. The average use case is certainly losing when they gamble. We can all agree with that. Yeah. However, they weed themselves out of the uh, of the community before like true ruin is reached. And you can say like, "Oh, I, c- I can name a hundred guys that are lurking around the poker room and looking for their next buy in and yada 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 and all this other stuff." It's like, sure, but they're not homeless. They're not dying. They're just living a life that you don't deem to be desirable, but that's true in almost all realms, right? Mm -hmm. Like that same type of person is doing the same thing, working a nine to five and looking for, you know, uh, a little extra
1: change to get cigarettes or to go get drunk. I hate, I hate to bring it up, but it didn't. I really do hate to bring it up, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> didn't any Duke write a book about like thinking in terms of bets? Yeah. yeah. I think so, like, that's her, kind that's of the
2: whole thing now. She's like a, a pu- public speaker or something. It was about, so
0: sharp. Uh, risky. Mm-hmm. Any competent poker player could have done it. She was first. And she was just first, and she's going to make eight figures off of it lifetime.
1: Wow. Regardless of the whole like epic poker league, this, that, whatever, like, the idea of thinking about the decisions you make in terms of wits and wagers is an extremely important life skill to have
0: mm-hmm.
1: because most times when we do things we don't even think about it yeah at least not in like an actual the first time i started thinking about stuff in that regard was like when you had me think about cost benefit analysis like genuinely think of like, okay what are the pros what are the cons most of the time you just fucking do shit you don't yeah, have think course. about it of
0: course and and like the notion that it's going to spiral out of control and you're going to lose everything quote-unquote um it's it's more of an extreme take then the reality actually replicates. It's like the fear mongering, right? It's like if a million people are playing poker for real money, you're not going to see a hundred thousand of them. It's very unlikely that you'll see a hundred thousand of them run themselves into complete and utter ruin, right? But you might see ten thousand of them do that. So now you're hyper fixated on one percent. Yeah, you're looking right? at the specific examples that fit your narrative. Sure, and and, mm-hmm. and the other thing is like even even if there is 1% or whatever the percentage is that truly runs themselves into ruin, what's the likelihood that they stay in ruin, right? Like how many of that, that now subset are just in destitute for life? Yeah. Again, it's only gonna be a fraction of it, right? Yeah. And most of the time, those are people that no matter what path they took, they have some certain self-destructive behavior that allows them to, to ultimately you know reach ruin faster and 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 live in a in a way that isn't desirable to you or i but the notion that like we need to protect the children from this to me seems so ridiculous like it's reductive i was four when i saw my first alcohol commercial what are we talking about Mm -hmm. you know it's like we we've we've made you're you're somehow gonna like group plaza yeah like uh, <laughs> these commercials are geared towards kids right right yeah. the pop culture candy
3: cigarettes remember those gum oh, cigarettes yeah, where you yeah. could yeah. actually blow the cigars and like, yeah. Yeah, yeah
2: yeah and if, if we want to start talking about stuff that's dangerous for kids like talk about the effect that technology has on people's brains and stuff you know like talk about the fact that kids brains are actually different now than what they used to be because they use technology in different ways like let's talk about some serious stuff instead of just stuff that's just pulled out of nowhere
0: yeah i, I just think it's like incredibly reductive and uh bordering on silly to to somehow like yeah. go into the realm of or the shadow realm if you will of like uh, <laughs> I love the, the shadow realm. The, 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 the nefarious activities that are available and somehow truly believe that like, Oh, we're protecting the kids because we don't talk to them about games that they can bet on. But meanwhile, we're running like a bunch of, you know, alcohol commercials with girls with huge boobs and bikinis and, you know, cartoons and all this other stuff that like kids are naturally going to gravitate towards Mm -hmm. and teens are naturally going to gravitate towards. And then just be like, Oh, but that's societally acceptable. Everybody gets drunk.
2: Right. Exactly. There's also this weird thing where, whatever you tell kids that they're not allowed to do or not allowed to have or not supposed to see what they're going to seek out. Of Mm. course. And there's never going to be some future world in which kids just change and they stop seeking that stuff out. So the more you start to put things in this category of like, this is not for kids. This is not for kids. That's not for kids. Those become the things that kids want. So there has to be an equilibrium eventually where like you have some of those things to try to reduce the exposure of kids to those things. But you also eventually have to say, well, at some point, like we're actually attracting kids towards this thing and causing them to seek it out more by telling them it's off limits, you know?
0: Yeah, the world at large is a scary place, and like generally, uh, being the protective one who shelters everybody is not the effective way of preventing them from the from what ails them in society, right? It's it's educating them on it. It's if they see a commercial for. Uh, you know, bet MGM and sports betting. You educate them on like what the actual true odds are. Like that's a that's an opportunity to have them think probabilistically. And
1: you tell your wife that you're going to do it. Yes, yeah, you
0: do. As we we uh, determined from yesterday's am I the asshole? Um, <laughs> but but more importantly, I think it's important to like equate it to more traditional realms as well. Like I keep making the stock market example, but you know, for everybody who says that there are thousands of poker players who. Gamble themselves into, you know, ruin, and, and yeah, and they're and they're, uh, they just like can't recover, or whatever. Look at all of the people who trade recreationally. How many of them do you think traded themselves into ruin? Yeah, right. And
3: I, I and I, I would, I would wager, <laughs> I would like to bet on this. I would like to that, bet on yeah. that. That uh, poker players in general are, are much better investors than. In, in when it comes to like tr- traditional finance than, than just your average person. Because yeah, they understand the, the risk they understand I, th- I mean well maybe but the, yeah.
0: the, the point I'm trying to make is that nobody is saying that the stock market is uh, nobody's demonizing the stock market Correct. and no, right. saying that there are not. hundreds of thousands of people who of ruin not. themselves year right. over year right yeah. and I would think that the crossover of like the percentage of people who trade recreationally to the percentage of people who play poker recreationally that reach ruin, it's probably pretty close it's to like game.
1: the angel let's like angels and demons where people use gambling as like slot machine negative ev stuff with fixed negative roi right and you look at a stock market like positive roi like year over year you're gonna you're gonna get some money back and you're gonna make money but if you do this you're going to crash and burn and become the worst version of yourself you can ever imagine
0: yeah i, mean, <laughs> I don't know why it reminds me of this but uh do you remember the saved by the bell episode where jesse gets addicted to caffeine pills and she like starts breaking down like <laughs> i i think i do yeah but so, well, i don't for it, sure it, it just reminds yeah. me of that that scene because it was so overly dramatized so, yeah to hammer the point home mm. of like how dangerous drugs are right, right. and I mean, in this instance drugs were over-the-counter caffeine pills yeah you know, so it's like the most benign version of of what drugs could possibly be,
2: because they couldn't feature an actual drug in an episode, I would assume. Well, like they no, they they, like
1: they did an dose. episode on
0: marijuana. Oh,
2: also. they all oh, actually did. Okay. Um,
1: well, caffeine is stand like standard now, right? And like no one really thinks, oh, if you take call it too much caffeine, well, if you're you going to become it, a dean. Still, it,
0: it was more yeah. using that as the vehicle to represent addiction, mm-hmm. right? So it was a thirty minute episode of her spiraling out of control. And starting with like, oh, I'd take these to study a little bit. You know what I mean? Like the way we view Adderall now. Right. And then like each scene she would progressively get worse and worse and more like demonic. She's she and, was a full-blown heroine. Yeah, act. and like she's just <laughs> screaming at people, yeah. you know, and she's like off her rocker and needs yeah. her pills. Right. And, you know, we're talking about like caffeine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All it's going to do is keep you awake. It's not yeah. going to make you yeah. fucking yell at people. Right, right. So else. it's
0: just like it, it's this overly dramatized movie scene of what the dark yeah. corners of the world can be mm-hmm. if you take them to the extremes but the people that take things to the extremes are a very low percentage of society always
1: and, and it's like yeah it sucks if that's your kid yeah they're gonna stay like that's always gonna be the case in some regards you know the people that have the hyper uh addictive esque, they're gonna find something to be addicted to right You know, like uh in my case like I, I think prior, and I don't think it ever call it fully goes away, but it, when it comes to curbing your addictive personality-esque, I played poker for two straight years and didn't leave my room.
0: Yeah, like, kids just, do that all the time with video games too.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I did that in high school. Like I played right. video games my entire high school career and then um, found poker where now it's like, yes, I, had, I understand now I have these addictive parts about me, but it's like, okay, how do I actually control them versus taking it all the way the other way, but I'm not called the normal case of the someone that doesn't end up grow, like growing out of it.
0: Yeah, I I think I think just uh, preaching abstinence from like all things is right. A, like don't crazy, do them because they could fuck you up. It's just a crazy approach. Right,
2: mm-hmm. and it's also the the whole like when somebody think of the children thing is like 99 of the time it's just totally disingenuous and it's it's never used as like a legitimate thing because the stuff that actually affects kids is most of the time completely disconnected from the stuff that people actually want to tell you is what's affecting kids
1: yeah i will say like there's definitely though uh, a point of trying to potentially the way that we market and sell the dream of poker prior of rags to riches story which leaves a lot of rags in the wake
0: yeah i mean you and i've talked about this a lot where like i'm always the 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 old man naysayer who's just like hey guys the dream is the dream is we know it is dead. I mean, we made a whole documentary, <laughs> right? Right. It's like Go check it, out to be determined. And I'm not, not saying that to be somebody to, like poo-poo the industry no, or anything right. like that. It's just you know let's be realistic about it. The like what success looks like in this industry has largely changed. You're not going to You're get signed to a, a million dollar. You're not going to be Daniel Negreanu. Like those, that era is gone, mm-hmm. and it's probably not very likely to come back. We're not going to see that level of investment from corporations that can build characters up through multi-million dollar deals and uh marketing so it's like be a lot more realistic like you can make a good hourly if you get good at this game and that's just fine but like yeah yeah, you're not going to be you're not going to be a world-class athlete when it comes to pay grade when it comes to notoriety when it comes to outside success or the ability to branch there off of
1: and you can make greater than 50 dollars an hour right guapo that's right (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's the dream well in order to make more than 50 dollars an hour you need to know what to do when you miss a flop good segue thank, thank you high quality segway. uh so we are going to get in today's strat chat and we're going to talk a lot about cbet strategies as a whole um but most specifically like the biggest pain point i think for people who are kind of just <laughs> developing flop strategies to begin with and that's
1: what do i do when i miss get addicted to backdoors <laughs>
0: yeah. That's yeah. that's a really strong uh strong strong point I think. Um from my perspective, you know, having kind of felt every point of pain that this game has to offer, I think the the this might be a weird place to start, but I think the the best place to start is actually the low SPR scenarios where you've already invested a lot. And I'm speaking for the audience a little bit here, but that notion of feeling committed right feeling some level of pot commitment feeling some level of uh attachment to winning the hand because a lot of money's already gone in so like i'm specifically talking about like starting at four bet pots perhaps uh where your range is incredibly narrow and you have a good hand right like it's rare that you're going to play a four bet pot especially as the four better where you're just going to have a hand like seven high and be (laughs) like oh i can just like dump this you know like yeah when you are deep maybe there's a little sprinkle of that in there but it's mostly going to be like I have ace queen suited and I missed I have ace king off and I missed yeah. right and that sinking feeling of like well I didn't accomplish what I wanted to pre which is mostly to either get the money in or win the pot now and now I have to navigate this two SPR spot where it came nine high and I have big cards
1: right in the mm-hmm. hand ranking scale in your brain you have nothing
0: yeah, well, I mean, you truly are at your bottom, right? So uh, personally, like emotionally, that feels bad, man.
1: Cock, suck, fuck.
0: Right, <laughs> right. and I think that it takes a, a well-developed strategy to start to understand how to navigate these situations. And I want to I present this scenario first because I think it simplifies the concept a lot for the audience. Ranges are really narrow, so we can really hone in on specific segments um the spr is relatively low so we can just like basically focus on a single betting strategy which is largely going to be geo uh geo sizing um and then on top of that we can begin to understand how critical it is to give up or not
1: love geometric whenever
0: you're talking about having a very small portion of bottom of range right right uh The inverse of that is we can just talk about how important it is to realize your equity and be willing to stack off and that's something i think people are generally uncomfortable with
1: yeah like call it specific example but one that happens a bit uh the jack 10x flush draw boards Mm -hmm. you play very fast and you realize uh the low wheel boards for example and other boards it's like oh shit, you actually get to play some all-ins uh and realize your equity with high cards so it's trying to figure out okay even though i missed how good is my hand at, I don't want to use the word blocker, right? Because the, the whole blocker conversation is different. But when you do have ace-king and you look at the top of your opponent's range, you say, okay, they're going to play ace-king very fast in most cases. How does my hand interact with them actually having value? Mm. Because the most important part when it comes to floating and being able to win pots later is thinking about how do my cards interact with the worst and best of theirs so you have uh even though you missed a flop in position like being addicted to backdoors and seeing a price sometimes you can float other times you can't it's just a matter of what price are you being laid and are you willing to uh gamble that they check Gamble, <laughs> callback so from your perspective
0: hunt what what is the approach like what's the simplified approach to sea betting if we're talking about low spr situations where ranges are relatively tight
2: um, I think the, the, the first thing I would probably just kind of add on to what you guys said is, is to, to get out of the binary approach to evaluating a situation. So to, to get out of looking at it as I, I hit or I missed, right? Mm-hmm. Because that is right, just... I hear that so much. What's that?
1: I hear that so much that yeah. I missed.
2: Right, yeah. Like the, the, the problematic aspect of that is it's going to take you down a pathway where you're thinking that way for the whole rest of the hand. You're thinking about like Ace King, like oh I missed, therefore this is a bluff. Therefore, I'm gonna just try to brute force my way into bluffing this off for three streets. Or, you know, if you have if you didn't quote unquote miss, like you make a pair, now you're gonna convince yourself that well now this is a hand that I have to play like value. But the the reality is everything is is on a spectrum, and w- and not everything is just easily value or easily bluff on the flop, especially. So. I think that particularly at the low SPR spots where everything's going to be getting a good price is you have to start teaching yourself to visualize or not necessarily even visualize, but to see the game as equity, to see the game as a spectrum of equity, to understand, let's say, when you do have ace-king on some low-card board, even in a four-bet pot, it's pretty likely that most of the time you have six outs, which means that, you have probably at least 24, 25% equity there. Plus, sometimes you have the best hand already, so your equity is probably in the 25 to 30% region, possibly even more than that, depending on exactly what your opponent's range looks like. But uh, to just understand that, and to even be able to immediately, on even if you get your equity wrong, like the difference between saying I probably have like 30% equity versus I missed is huge in terms of how it affects the way you're going to think about the hand going forward.
1: Especially when it comes yeah. to playing into bias where someone will be like, okay, I missed with ace-king, I'm checking down, I'm not trying to win this hand anymore. Right. And then you're looking at the game through a hand versus I don't even know or care what my opponent has versus a broad scoped range versus range. Mm-hmm. Where even if you miss a flop with call it you four by ace-queen and the board comes king high. in the normal mind, it's like, I missed with ace-queen. I, bl- I tried bluffing to win preflop. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Versus, oh, this is really great for my range and not great for them. I can play range bet and not worry about my specific hand. Mm-hmm. So now you're looking at it from a range versus range analysis, and then you can come up with global strategies to still try to win hands and um, play a range and hands within it more effectively, even yeah. when you miss.
2: I think I think from a training perspective, the the most productive thing that someone can do to get themselves out of that binary mindset is to, to practice not focusing in on your whole cards. So like if, you have, if you're someone who likes reviewing hands, for example, uh, review somebody else's hand and, and no, don't allow yourself to know what they actually had. Like find a hand in your poker tracker database or something, and like erase your whole cards so you can't see your whole cards and then force yourself to think through the spot, think about what your range looks like, what your strategy looks like, and take yourself away from being able to think about your whole cards. Because the more you think about your individual whole cards, the further away you're going to get from a strategy that's actually well-rounded. And you're, you're just going to be thinking about, like, how do I win this pot right now? How do I do something right now that's going to increase my chances of, of a good outcome?
1: Funny enough, I feel like that happens a lot in poker when it comes to trying to win hands is Mm -hmm. the true sense like a gamble aspect is looking at your hand and saying what could i have done differently to get the result that i want Mm -hmm. whereas sometimes you four bet a hand that's a pure four bet you get bad card bad board for range and you check fold because that's like the fiscally, mm-hmm. strategically responsible thing to mm-hmm. do. But then you say, oh, I could have aces and he can't. Yeah. I'm going to rifle it off. And it's like, whoa, this is actually the, the issue mm-hmm. versus seeing the game as a whole. Yeah. In the so, strategy it's, sense. It's
2: so common in tournaments too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people, like a student, text me a hand where it's like, I busted the tournament on this hand. Could I have done something differently, yep. right? It's like the standard thing.
1: Just preservation.
2: Yeah, and it's, uh, it'll, it'll get to the point where it's like, I had kings, can I ever get away from it? And I'm just like, <laughs> just spend your time on something more valuable because mm-hmm. rewriting history in that way, trying to like find a way that I could have gotten away from it is just attaching to what actually happened and trying to think of something that can stop it from happening to you again
1: yeah it's just the negative feedback loop of poker where we all kind of want to make ourselves feel good and mm-hmm. say how can i play every spot perfect right how can i and by, but perfect isn't from a strategy sense perfect is from a personal result sense yeah because everyone that's trying to play a hand in most cases tries to win the hand right mm-hmm. but sometimes winning the hand is just check folding right mm-hmm. and
2: you're trying to, like when you're doing this when you're looking back at a hand that you've lost and trying to rewrite it you're trying to protect yourself from how it felt to lose that hand. What you're actually doing is you're looking at, I busted this tournament with kings, it sucked, and I don't want that to happen again. How can I try to find some way of playing differently so that that doesn't happen? But if you're trying to protect yourself from that outcome, you're going to lead yourself further and further away from making the right decisions because those outcomes of, I had kings and I got it in against aces and busted, like that's just supposed to happen. Like There's no world in which you can be a winning poker player and protect yourself from, from getting it in bad and, and sometimes just, just lose it.
0: I, I think, I think an issue that most people suffer from is that bleeds off, like that, that concept of risk management, if you will, or attempting to lose the minimum, it bleeds into the strategy aspect of when you are not at top of range, right? So like if you're already thinking about that way when you're at top of range, of how could I prevent coolers from happening? What if he's a set? Uh, Yeah, that type of stuff. Then it really bleeds into, well, I missed. uh, Therefore, I have no equity, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a conflation between uh, what your equity is and missing, right? This notion that, like, oh, I have ace-king high on a seven-high board in a (laughs) four-bet pot. uh, I can't win because I have zero equity now is very, very incorrect. Yeah. and. It really comes as a lack of understanding what the rest of your range looks like, right? If you're in a four bet scenario and you know that your range is kings, aces, ace, king, and then like maybe some ace five suited as bluffs, what you'd recognize is that on these seven high textures, you're at a pretty big advantage. Your opponent's unlikely to have aces and kings in range. Um, And, you know, even though when you have ace five and ace king, you're relatively at bottom. You have such a, a big equity advantage throughout all the combinations of hands that have seen this flop that you just get to bet freely because there's nothing your opposition can really do outside of just call you down. And that's really the nature of the game. Whenever you find yourself in these tight range spots where you have advantage, you're the uncapped range and your entire mission is to just make it uncomfortable
1: for your opponent's capped
0: range to call, call, call.
1: Yep, There's off and like just in any game... There's offense, defense. You know, and when you have the uncapped range, you're playing offense. When you have the capped range, you're playing defense.
0: Right, and I think people misunderstand that offense is making money by having value hands. Like, yes, of course that's true, but that money is only being made because you also have an equal amount of hands that are bluffing and or just trying to realize their equity, right? Like, I played a hand versus Robo on um, on Bally's Live. We were playing 200-400, I open Ace-King under the gun. He 3-bets middle position. I 4-bet. He calls. We were deep, so we arrived at, uh, at SPR on the flop of, like, 5. And it came 7 high, I think, like seven four four something like that. Just a, a very advantageous board to me as the 4-better. And I just 3-E'd, like, with Ace-King. I just know that, like, this is the hand that I'm going to, at a minimum, bet bet. And I may just bet, bet, jam. You might even make a pair at some point. Well, that's what happened. The turn's a king. I continue to 2e now on the turn. He calls again. The river's a brick, and I jam. And, you know, he, he kind of was like struggling to figure out what my range was through this bet, bet, bet line because I don't think he expected it. Most of my range isn't going to take that line, right? Like queens are going to feel uncomfortable bet, bet, jamming. However, it's not an unreasonable thing, right? The sure. unreasonable aspect of bet, bet jamming queens on seven four four king deuce is that positions you, were uh, under the gun versus low jack.
1: The, sure, but that's different than button big blind.
0: Yeah, my point is the difficulty of going bet, bet jam with queens on a seven, 7 or seven four four king deuce board is that you stop being able to see what calls right so
1: if you can't get called by by worse tens jacks
0: yeah and like those hands are very unhappy yes and some some pairs have to start folding so it's like the the more the target to get called by shrinks the the less thinly you can jam for value right but ace king is a layup right because yeah it's still the same cluster of hands that have to call off queens jacks tens and they're very unhappy to do so and he ultimately arrived at a river fold with jacks but he thought about it for a really long time so it was clear he was indifferent
1: and if you have ace queen off you're just going to do the same thing yeah yeah i I, yeah
0: like whatever the next worst hand i mean uh on that texture yeah it's probably going to be ace queen
1: yeah well you just block because now when you're going through the aggressive node you're trying to have them be at the capped portion of their range as much as you can Right. So you have Ace Queen with good suits, you block King Queen suited, you block the Ace King trap that he's gonna have if he's not gonna pile it on you, low jack Correct. versus uh, Yeah, we're way gun. too deep
0: for it to be all in.
1: Exactly. So now you're worried about okay, how can I make it more likely he has jacks, tens, nines, eights. And sometimes if he's playing good poker, which he does, he's gonna have a four in his hand for trips, like with a four or five suited who'll have like an ace sure. four suited. Sure. And like if that's the case, that's okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, I would never not- I would never like replay this hand. And where I get snapped on the river and he shows me aces. and be like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I should have just check folded the flop.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, or like he's no a should. four and you think to yourself like, why would I do that? I, I know you're only calling with trips there.
0: Right, right, right. And it's right. like,
1: you have no idea. It's just very
0: insulting to your yeah. opposition in both ways. Like, disrespectful. Well, it's disrespectful in both ways in the sense that um, versus good players, it's disrespecting that they could ever call you with appropriate bluff catchers. Right. And then against bad players, it's disrespectful that they could ever make like a hero call with fucking ace high or pocket eights (laughs) or pocket nines, something like that, Mm -hmm. which happens all the time.
1: Right. We're like in some regard having uh, ace king for robol in the terms of queen is kind of better than jacks, right? Because now he's blocking your top end polar range. So now you're worried about okay i actually have a hand that even though it's nothing and missed does very good at making sure you missed more likely than not
0: yeah yeah i think that that's fair and you know again like he's only even considering jacks on the end because he knows i'm capable of having bluffs yeah so if i'm not willing to rifle it off here with ace queen then jacks becomes a very easy fold it's trivial yeah I just have aces and kings and ace-king, and that's it.
1: It's just the action-reaction game, right? Because at some point, in theory, if you know they're folding jacks and tens too much, you start over-bluffing. Right. And if they call too much, you start under-bluffing. So now you have to kind of figure out, okay, where do I think my opponent is on the line of good? And you saying, oh, I think he's—you think Andrew Robo is going to fold too much is just most of the most susceptible thing in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean... That's, I'm just going to play good. Yeah. And you I just, expect you to play good. Right, you just have to. So I think that like when we're talking about like what do you do when you miss the flop, it's, well, you have a plan, right? And <laughs> and the plan is derived from what your range would want to do. Yeah. So on certain boards when you miss, your entire range is going to want to not give up, but check, right? We
1: play check raises, defend.
0: The, the, there's a difference between giving up and checking as well, right? Like some hands will be give ups, but it's unlikely to be really strong hands that didn't connect right like oftentimes ace king can see a turn even through the check call line right on a seven four three board
1: yeah and in most cases too the bet size that you're going to theoretically face from your opponent is one that they want to keep you in with those hands because they don't want to reduce your range so much to only need to continue with your protects Mm -hmm. Or let's say you have the low board and you have a range check where there's some 4 bet pots where that's going to be the case. Now, if they go too big, they're saying, okay, you can fold everything that's not really good hands. And when you have really good hands, you're going to make money. And then when you have nothing, uh, you're going to fold and I'm going to win. And that, for an in-position player, is what they're trying to accomplish when you're looking at the game of, I want to win this hand now. Mm-hmm. There's so much money right. invested. You get everything
3: that's, that's worse to fold and everything that's better to continue. Right, I mean, it's just a, a, it's a reverse value to bet. Be in. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so most of the time when you see bet sizes from in position, you're going to see small bets to make you continue wider. So now you have, you have to float the ace-king because if you don't, you're giving up and folding away too much equity. And that's why you see a lot of times in position, you're going to play smaller uh, stab sizes facing uh, checks. Right. And sure, sometimes in poker, there's different, like called higher SPR spots. And you always have to figure out how can my range get in all of the money yes or no and if the answer is yes you figure out how to do it in an appropriate sizing scheme where you're playing a four bet pot with a small SPR it's not that hard to be all in yeah you can always just check down to river and then 2x pot it
0: yeah in a single race pot
1: you can't check down and go 30x pot
0: right right I mean you could
1: you could but (laughs) you probably put a C bet in somewhere along the way yeah Yeah. and you go 15x on the river yeah unless you go uh, like (laughs) ace king on like the queen jack x river 10 all in yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh, i'm curious
0: i'm curious what the tortoise does when he finds himself what out does of position do? with king queen high on a oh, eight I high a, board
3: i played a hand uh this is a little i mean i guess it's a little slightly. what little about in king queen high uh guy raised under the gun we're playing one two and he makes it 12 um and i played with him a lot not a lot but he seemed to be a more of the active player sure compared to the pool sure okay um, so he's opening a lot. He's opening relatively big. Mm. Uh, he makes a one caller, around to me in this big blind. I have uh, Ace King off. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to three bet, which I think I can flat there a lot. No, oh, no. Okay, good. Way not too much money in the middle. That's six, okay. That's right. Th- okay. Against a
2: six x and a call, especially in a one. All right, game cool. Because that's that's like, what I was thinking.
3: Yeah, you should. So have not, that was me going no back flats, like though. maybe I should just flatten this. bit. Okay.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, right. Honestly, you could be all it. Yeah. Yeah, we like, don't even know it, three hundred. All in.
3: I made it fifty-two. Uh, we're three hundred effective. Mm-hmm. Um, one hundred fifty big ones effective. And uh, he calls, and the other guy folds. Yeah. There's like one twenty in the middle. I have two hundred back. Yeah, so it's even
1: less than a 4 by pot. SPR wise. Um,
3: yeah. Flop well, comes queen. Let's see, uh, queen, jack, deuce queen deuce of hearts and i have ace king ace of hearts king of clubs okay so i have cut shot backdoor yep uh i go third pot um he calls and my plan was to jam a lot of hearts um jam pro- I'll, I'll probably jam a 10 i mean at that point i'm like um yeah, it's like 1 SPR on the Yeah, on the I think turn. the problem
0: is when you go third pot, you don't have turn jams. Yeah, maybe mm, no. Depends.
1: Cuz like uh normally when you turn jam here, it's going to be a very small percentage of your range that needs to uh jam for protection. Right. Like if aces no heart, you're going to be all in. Yeah. If he has a flush, he has a flush. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah agreed.
0: But so, I I think I think the cleaner way of of going about this is half potting flop and then just jamming turn.
1: On all of them? Well,
0: on a lot of them, like on bricks and on cards that you approve on,
2: just basically going to e flop.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. It's like half pot, half pot.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you're just so yeah. high up in your equity distribution, yeah. and you're like, you're not gonna. If you have Ace Five suited mm-hmm. here, you're not gonna be able to run this line. Right. Yeah, it felt right? like so Ace King's kind of a bluff. It
3: felt like a like, oh well, this is just a, th- a small bet, but well, but I mean, like, you're targeting yeah. the middlely pairs with a small bet,
1: yeah, which that's, does very well. That's
2: kind yeah. of what I was thinking. Like, that's true. I, I think I like. He might just going have three really Small there. I think you I like going like twenty percent, fifty. Just has deuces like through tens. Right. Right. Because there's there's so many pocket pairs that you're kind of targeting, and then everything outside of that, everything that has broadways, flush draws, gut shots, etc., a queen, a jack, you can't target that because it's never going to fold to any size. Mm-hmm. I think this
1: is a huge point. Like targeting. Like yeah. You're just saying, okay, what can I actually make really upset? Mm-hmm. Right? Cause yeah. Right. Because now if he has like call it nines with a heart mm-hmm. facing quarter pot of B20. It's like, oh shit, like this is really kind of annoying because right. I can still maybe make a flush or still mm-hmm. turn a 10 and make it backdoor straight. Yeah, where if you go big bad, it's like, whoa, well, like the, the, I can just fold now. There, there's a bit of
0: an issue though, in that you guys are talking about it from the bluff lens, and that's very reasonable because that's what we have here. Um, but we would then by proxy of they're not going to fold a queen, they're not going to fold a jack, choose a different line with our value to ensure that we were all in. Well, I think no, I okay. think we're,
2: we're just looking at the we're just looking at it, or I'm looking at it from the perspective of doing that with value as well. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not saying I would do something different when I have kings.
0: Yeah, I'm here. just saying I, I think it's harder to be all in.
1: Well, I think I would play differently versus uh, called opponent structure, where I think that but they you, don't care about. Like my if you have black
0: kings, this oh, isn't. This is not the best path to being all in.
1: Of course not. But this is from an exploit with talking about, okay, in theory, I think the best path to being all in is going quarter and being okay and living with it. But in practice, the, the better choice is to be all in. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I-, I was playing someone good, I would not play this line this way. Fair. I would play, I would just play range B20. Yeah, I play like call it smaller stakes live. Say, okay, I don't think he's gonna fold to queen. I don't think he's gonna fold to jack, and he's gonna fold those pairs anyways. If I bet twenty, it makes more sense to go big hand, big bet because my knee, my hand needs more protection and value.
2: Yeah, I mean, from from the when I was mentioned targeting, I was talking about targeting for indifference, not targeting for faults Like because mm-hmm. the right. like like Landon said, the the nines with a heart or whatever, if we bet a size that's small enough, that hand is gonna be indifferent here as opposed to just being a fold. Whereas if we bet one third nines with a heart now probably just becomes pure fold
1: right you're allowing your opponents to make money with their decisions if they can find the correct ones and if we lead them into folding where they want to fold anyways when they miss the way we make money from that is forcing them to continue versus the price you lay instead of giving them the outs to fold right yeah exactly
0: i agree with everything you're saying if positions are flipped i think the tricky dilemma here is forcing yourself to now navigate a three-street game out of position, whereas you could easily reduce it to a two-street game with the majority of your range.
2: I think that that would be something I would be more concerned about if it was a spot where the top of our range was more vulnerable. So if it's a board like, maybe if it's like 9-8-X, something like that, where jacks, queens, kings are vulnerable against overcards, etc., I would be more looking at condensing the number of streets we play but i feel like aces kings are still going to have enough equity on queen jack x that i don't think it quite falls into that category there's still a bunch of runouts where aces and kings are gonna
1: well it's like let's just say that brian has queens here like you're not gonna go half pot um you block the queens and it's more likely they have the middle pairs yeah so in my like the way that i see this spot is okay it's going small I'm just gonna go right, small yeah. with the hands that I want to go small with. Like, let's say I have the bluffs, and then mm-hmm. when I have the value hands that need the most protection, and I'm not worried about if they turn a flush on me, I'm just gonna go 2e all in.
0: Yeah, I guess. And, I guess what I'm saying is that Ace King complements that range better, and Ace Five complements the small range better, the small sizing better, because Ace Five doesn't need to play a three street game.
1: Well, just and I it think, just
0: benefits immediately from the indifference point of the small size,
1: right? I think like a, You should
0: still have something that is nothing in, in your bigger sizing.
1: You should, but you don't have to. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah. you're, you're we, skipping we, a lot of steps here. We flipped
2: around. Like, now you're talking theoretically and he's talking exploitatively. Well, because
0: I, I think, like, it's important to not skip the steps, right? Like, if we're, if we're getting, if we're being presented with a blank question of, like, I missed, I don't know what to do. The notion that, like, we should just skip to exploits is fucking insane
1: sure i also think that playing two sizes is insane
0: yeah i i can agree with that so I, I would
1: play one size of range bet b20
0: yeah i would do the opposite
1: you would che- play checks and play uh, half? i would play checks
0: in half yeah
1: yeah i wouldn't do that yeah like i'm just trying to target indifference from the pairs yeah but it depends on how much you bluff it depends on how much you're squeezing A five in the first place
0: yeah, I mean, for those sizes, you should be pretty aggressive out of the big blind. I
1: think.
2: It, yeah, it all gets really weird when you're 300 deep in the open is 6x because, like, yeah, you, you probably can't just rip preflop with a lot of hands. It you, like, gets very strange. You should mm-hmm. be.
1: And I think practically, I mean, as we've, I'm sure you've seen, you've never seen somebody jam 300 over Ray's call. Yeah. Because player pool doesn't want to do that. It's scary.
3: I, I, I actually did that. I had, like, I had lost the answer. I was down to, I think I had, like, 220 and it, <laughs> yeah. went, it went, like, Opened a fifteen call, and I had tens in the small blind. I just ripped.
1: That's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's very good. Because um, that's the that's the problem. Problem I, with I, opening too. Big. I got called by a smaller pair. Yeah,
3: oh, that's he, nice. Right, yeah, because he thought he, he's like, oh, I just thought you had he's king. The taunt, yeah. just yeah, yeah. right? like, got some action. Mm-hmm, yeah.
0: Wait, they didn't uh, know.
3: In this hand, he calls the turn, and, and he calls you um, mean the flop. He uh, calls the flop, and the turn is a nine of spades, putting two spades out there mm-hmm. So two mm-hmm. or two spades. Uh. I didn't like that card. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, you did not. Like, I did here, not here, like here,
0: that card. Uh, I think right. this, this becomes... Uh, a, this happens a lot. Right. This is going to happen a lot in this spot with this hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we don't care about that card that much if we're set up for a half-pot jam. Yeah.
3: Okay. So but that,
0: anyway, uh, that, that's not necessarily advocating for my strategy right, more. right. it's just yeah. now you have a much tougher decision at one spr
2: right right exactly so i, 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 I don't I, think we care about that yeah. card that much one way or the other like, i feel like it just doesn't doesn't do much other than you know, we we, we block King-10 already, but King-10 might have jammed the flop. Like, 10-9 yeah. might have jammed the flop. Like, it, it doesn't...
0: Maybe... I mean, yeah,
2: we're uh, playing 1-3 yeah. in a 3-bet yeah.
3: pot. I don't
0: think you're yeah. getting jammed on very right. often. Uh,
3: yeah, it's unlikely I would get yeah, jammed on there, I don't think.
0: Um, Queen-Jack would jam the flop. Yeah, Queen-Jack would jam. The hands that aren't supposed to jam the flop were the ones that jam. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's true. Right. I feel, I feel. guess. I guess I just feel like it gives Villain a lot of one pair and doesn't...
0: Nobody I think else. so too, but I think one it pair? makes us one pair a lot more mm-hmm. inelastic.
3: Right. Yeah. I think if equity goes sure. up, I mean, like I unblock am, I am all the spades and like yeah. he, he might now have like turned like a pair and a flush draw. Yeah, gutty, you can almost like, yeah, right.
0: well, I don't want to say so far as value jam because mm-hmm. you just get called by combo draws Yeah. and pair well, it's, plus draws. It's, but, it's
3: funny. Because, so I check. Yeah. Uh, he checks back. That's nice. Right. I'm like, oh, nice. River's an eight.
1: Mm. Which, one liner. Yeah.
3: yeah. One liner. Now I check again. Yeah. He checks back. And he has ace eight off.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I like, think I would. I think I would bluff
3: river. Yeah, I would definitely bluff river. It's your bottom. I, of I range. just don't have any tens. Do I have tens? I got tens.
1: Well, that's why you have to have ace tens suited. Well, you also yeah.
2: you also are not you're not <laughs> duty bound to bet big on the river. Like you can bluff for like for, third. Yeah, you can bluff small. You can bluff for a size that you would go with. I don't know a top two that was trying to check jam. So just bet like something. seventy. How much is in the pot?
3: There's like 200 in the pot. I have 200 behind.
2: Yeah, you could bet 55. Yeah. All all you need is for him to fold any one pair hand. Right. And if he does that, it's a the bluff is printing. Right. If he folds Ace Jack, printing. If he folds King Nine, printing. Like you don't need Mm -hmm. to do anything other than get him to fold a small amount of hands for a pretty cheap price. When you have Ace King there, if you jam, like yeah, he might have a tough decision with some hands that don't have a ten, but he's snapping with every ten, obviously and you're, uh, you're not, there's not even really that many hands that are folding to a jam that would not fold to the, to the small bet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you, when you bet small and he has two pair or something, then you know, it's, it's whatever, like, you just lose. But when you bet small and he has, like, king-jack and he's like, oh, I can't, I, even against quarter pot, I can't call and he folds and you pick up the pot for that mm-hmm. price, like, that's an amazing... Release. Honestly, yeah, sure.
1: the way that a lot of money is going to be made in spots like these is being predatory on the binary mindset of Mm -hmm. i win or i lose yeah Mm -hmm. where if you jam if they have a 10 easy and sure sometimes you might get some weird two pair to fold Mm -hmm. but most of the time like his two pair is going to bet the turn so he's got one pair Mm -hmm. and you don't get bluff jammed on yeah right part of blocking is like he's supposed to take a king nine suited or some shit he just has a 10 i just lose quarter pot yeah 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 and that's huge right and then like let's say if you have the the 10 in your hand maybe you go bigger right mm-hmm. and you're just like you know what like i know that i want to get like call it max value like max value for my hand and you're not going to be like imbalanced in a node but at the same time like we can't pretend that small stakes live is not mm-hmm. exploitable by nature in the pool right and people they, and they see that bet like and like some people just like 50 dollars is a lot because
3: it's just like mm-hmm. some people buying for 200 buying for 100 right. like it's like half the stack and so they see like already as a big bet, even though it's a quarter pot mm-hmm. bet. And they also see it as a quarter pot bet and it looks like value. Yeah, but, it's right, like, They it's, see it like both ways, you yeah. know what I mean? So like it, it, it can work in your favor in both mm-hmm. those ways.
1: It's the relationship of uh, gain loss when it comes to seeing money as the vehicle. Yeah. Where it's like, oh shit, $50, that's food for the week. Or like, that's part of rent money and it's like oh shit in the brain of someone that plays poker and looks at the odds and percentages you're betting quarter pot Mm -hmm. you're getting a really good price to call right so it's like okay i'm not going to really make as much expected value through a jam because they're going to protect already all their value on the turn because it's double flush draw and it's scary Mm -hmm. and i want to win now Mm -hmm. versus the i need to protect my range where if i do actually have some good hands i do need to have some checkbacks so going for a block versus going for a jam from a buff sense seems like it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I just I also just find in, in a very general sense like the four flush and four straight boards when you're out of position block sizes on rivers just do really really well because people aren't like they're they're not cognizant of how wide they need to defend when they're getting a really good price. Mm-hmm. So like they can if they if they just as an example like if they if you bet quarter pot there he's probably supposed to call with most of his one pair that interacts with the board in some way. Like, he's right. probably supposed to call, like, a queen, yeah, mm-hmm. something like that, because you're supposed to have a lot of bluffs. Right. But if he doesn't, then suddenly you, you just absolutely print. And then the same goes for, like, four flush rivers. Like, quite often, people are supposed to bluff catch one pair with no flush on a four flush river against a small size quite a lot. And if they don't, your bluffs just print. So, mm-hmm. like, sm- small size bluffs out of position on rivers... Is something I do a ton of, particularly in tournaments, because you'd be surprised how much you get away with. And there's lots of spots where, like, if you just have seven high and you get king high to fold, that's a really yeah, good huge. outcome. Yeah, 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 I find
0: I find the exact opposite happens uh, for me in my game specifically. <laughs> well, you play with uh, rich people,
2: <laughs> tournament <laughs> players, are broke. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, You're playing- I get
0: called wider than minimum defense in a lot of these spots, like where you know I'm bluffing five high on the end for a third pot just trying to get like jack high or king high to fold mm-hmm. and yeah. there are no pairs like just snap
1: and wow. maybe in your situation uh the player pool you're playing against is has been trained to call these small bets like maybe they're just very right. they're just very
0: binary and they're thinking mm-hmm. of like uh small bet equals we hand, big bet equals so, like
3: yeah on like it, I was trying to think about like this hand and like I'm like do I want to play this hand this way because this pool when I play the hand this way they they don't obviously they don't think in terms of range right they think in terms of I put you on this hand I put you on this hand mm-hmm. and what they're going to do is they're going to put me on the most logical hand and when I bet the flop small and then check the turn you have ace, pu- have ace king Yeah you have ace king Yeah and the problem is
0: you have ace king Yeah right <laughs> Right well, so right. Like, and the thing is, is like I don't know that you take that line with much else value outside of ace jack Yeah right Right? Like, literally only mm-hmm. your ace jack probably takes this bet check line. That's why I think, like, simplifying the flop strategy works so much better.
1: Like, if you have checks, they're, they're on the flop. Right. Well, in my opinion, you're simplifying the flop strategy by always betting 20%. No,
0: you, you're, you're... I'm saying simplifying the overall strategy. Yeah, you simplified the flop, but you complicated the turn of river tremendously. Mm-hmm. You have to have a complication at some point. There has to be a split somewhere. You don't you just think- get the range bet three
1: times. No, you don't get the range bet three times. Right, so now it becomes very challenging for us to... Well, now if you check flop, you have to play maybe a check call node, maybe play a check raise node, right? But if you always range bet 20, you give yourself... uh, There's no decision for you anymore.
0: Yeah, I'm not arguing that it's simpler to range bet 20 on the flop. I'm arguing that it becomes very hard to navigate turns and rivers.
3: Yeah, Because now you have the exact same
0: problem set on the turn where range bet is no longer available. So now you Mm -hmm. do have to check. So this whole notion that like we can truncate the tree to where we never have to have a check raise and check call strategy is nonsense.
1: Because at some point on one of the streets, you're going to have to build that out. Well, the way I see it is it's fundamentally uh, an issue when it comes to the overall three bet range as a whole. Because if your only three bet range is linear and you only have ace king queens plus... You're always going to have this problem. Set no, up. he won't be that tight though. He won't he be. There's. I mean, he thought about flatting pre. Yeah, I, I mean,
0: obviously, okay. No, I didn't. I did not think about flatting pre.
3: You
1: a- said it after the in fact,
0: hindsight.
3: In hindsight, I did. In hindsight, I, I thought like maybe like I was like, can I flat pre here? When in the moment, I was like, this is just a pure three bet, like easy. Because yeah, because it is I mean, a pure three bet. Right, yeah, yeah. I was. It was second guessing my. It was that. You know, when you second guess yourself, it's like, oh, I have kings and I went broke in this tournament. And, yeah. I, and, mean, and I how, mean, how do I play this hand differently, Matt? Right. But like, no, it's it like, the I thing mean, is, he's ev- just like everybody can crazy be a victim capped to that, when he right? checks
0: the turn. And if he starts checking to protect, which he should and will have to, the problem now becomes that, like, all in again is very challenging. Like, if he starts now checking top set of queens on the turn or checking like aces with a heart, these types of hands, now it's just like, it becomes very challenging. To to get stacks in in a spot where at one and a half SPR, I think especially in cash, these are good sp- situations for people to practice polarized strats, right? Like just having a very simple two street polarized strategy here with some fraction of your range is uh, pretty easy to build out. And the complement to that is also a two street strategy, right? Like when you start with a check, you're you're effectively still presenting a two-street strat that can build off into three if it goes check check if it goes check call that can now become a three-street strategy because the 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 pot size is going to be or the spr is going to be a little bit deeper okay so what are you checking for value besides top set i think you could have like top set maybe aces with a heart i think are good checks i think ace queen with the ace of hearts would be a good check you're talking turn on flop or flop yeah 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 um but i mean it it all equates to the same on the turn like after you bet small and get called Mm -hmm. like those are all still going to be the same hands that want to check on the turn the difference is now the turn's very dynamic and even your best hands that want to protect your checking range have a desire to bet both for protection and value sake and that's where it becomes a bit like wonky right like i don't really want to check top set on the turn anymore because he doesn't have a lot of folds well so now what do you do on the turn well i would have to check because i need to be checking ace king and i need to be checking tens and i need to be checking a lot of these other hands
3: matt can you explain why the ace of hearts is important
0: it uh, blocks the nut flush draws, so you're just going to face fewer continues um, in this particular instance. And also, you're kind of already protected by just having that that hand, right? So now when a heart peels off on the turn, you still have a high equity hand. You're not that concerned about it going check, check, and him realizing So you're
3: saying his calling range is stronger on the flop because you have the ace of hearts? Because he's not calling I, with If the, you were to bet. Right, if yeah. you were to bet. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's also, a lot, a lot of it is when you have the ace of, ace of hearts compared to when you don't, you just get you there's fewer spots where you have difficulty bluff catching and there's more spots where you get to play the hand aggressively for value because you just are less worried about running into a flush so not having the ace of hearts just it forces you to slow down a lot when the board runs out hearts uh, i mean cue
1: mm-hmm. blocker right because in this spot tight ranges it's still going to happen more yeah. than a normal situation after six x call squeeze big call fold that now Ace of Hearts makes it more likely that they have the parts of their range that are indifferent. Where if they have enough flush draw, they're not indifferent. They're seeing all five cards. Yeah. Where if uh, you do have the Ace of Hearts, it's more likely they have ninth, uh, along Stuff along those lines. After, yeah. after continuing facing bet.
0: I, I think the most important takeaway from what do I do when I miss the flop is uh, the, the notion of understanding that Even our hands that don't connect with the board have equity attached to them and there's going to be a ranking system, right? Like even the way that we're, we're we're going through this exercise here now with Brian's hand, right? We're compartmentalizing different fractions of our range where we're saying like these hands are really strong because of these properties. They're top set. That just makes it naturally strong or it's top pair with the nut flush blocker. That makes it naturally strong. It has inherent equity baked in, yada, yada, yada. The important takeaway is to understand that all ranges will compartmentalize this way. They'll all have these fractions of high equity, mid equity, low equity type of hands, and they're all going to have varying incentives. So really what we want to be able to do is figure out what the incentive of our overall ranges and then what the incentive of our actual holding is and where is their conflict, right? That's kind of what you ran into in on the turn. It's mm-hmm. like, well, a lot of my range wants to bet, but this hand doesn't really want to bet. Right. So now we've reached a bit of a conflict. Mm-hmm. Right? Now what we just have to understand is that we have two conflicting strategies that both have to be executed. It's impossible to go start to finish through a hand without ever range splitting. At some point, you're going to have two actions that you have to split your range between. Mm-hmm. Right? So it becomes very critical whether we do that on the flop turn or river to understand how to actually build these splits in a mindful way. That doesn't just result in us always check folding our nothing and always check calling our marginal hands because that's the fastest recipe to just getting absolutely blitzed and having a massively high loss rate. It's what we're taking advantage of in almost all of these pools. So even those people who are watching that don't necessarily understand how to do this exercise yet, they're still probably slightly better at observing when people around them fall into those camps and applying pressure. Naturally, themselves, right? Oh, Bob checked again on the seven high board after three betting me. He has ace king, and if I bet twice, he'll call fold.
1: If you want to see this in action, twitch.tv slash land entice September 30% off. Use uh probably live today. What's our website? Good plug, selfy.io. There you go.
0: Yeah, maybe there's a couple courses on there about C bet strategy. There is a new
3: on second thought that dropped this week.
0: Ewan will tell you all about C betting through the on second thought, uh, you, you could check you out
1: on here one day.
0: Yeah, we do. Uh, when he's back across the pond, I guess I'll be,
1: yeah. be back pretty soon actually. Cause he's got to move from his place in the UK and then might be here for a month. Nice.
0: Yeah. Well, he'll definitely be here in December if nothing else. Um, yeah. Be sure to check out, uh, a few of the courses on our site. There is a course, uh, many courses by Brokus, but one specifically on targeting that I think will be helpful. Range splitting too. Uh, as well as range splitting. Um, I go over a lot of this in the Midstakes Bible. That's uh, not it. That's Landon's. That's Landon's Twitch. There's there's also uh, there's also a course by Two Card Confidence on flop textures that I yes. think will be very helpful for diagnosing all of this. the flop.
3: It's called. Yeah, that's, that's right. Very good. So
0: be sure to check out sulfurwide.io. Check out these courses. Let us know. Leave some leave some love. You know, let us know in the comments what you think about all of this range splitting. What you do when you miss the flop. Lord we knows, knows to hear, we need it. We want to hear from the audience. Be sure to like, subscribe. We're going to be back tomorrow, 6 p.m. It's an After Dark episode. We're going to get a little rowdy. Mm-hmm. We'll see you guys all then. Hunt, thank you as always for joining us for Strat Chat be Wednesday.
2: Here. Good to be here.
0: We'll see you guys tomorrow. Goodbye. Peace.